welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Matthew chapter 4 as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew in a series I've entitled The King and His Kingdom. You know, one of the things that has always really caused me to marvel, you know, God is big, right? I mean, do we acknowledge the fact that God is big and he's, he is great, he is awesome, he is amazing. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures that are coming from the James Webb, is that right, James Webb yeah. telescope? <laughs> they are absolutely stunning and remarkable. And, and every time I see those things and we see further out into the universe and, and see and when we get further out in the universe that the universe is a lot bigger than, than, you know, than we can see. <laughs> you know, we see out there and we know there's still something past that. And God made that. He made it all. And then he made us. Not only, not only did he make us, but he made us to be in, in this relationship with him. And an aspect of that relationship is he wants to talk to us. Can you believe that? I, you know, I, I know me really well. I barely want to talk to me. But God wants to talk to me, and not just me. He wants to talk to all of humanity, even the disagreeable ones, even those that don't like him, even the ones that hate him. He loves them and wants to talk to them. And that should just be absolutely staggering to our mind. And that's been true since the very beginning. In Hebrews 1, 1, 1, it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Right from the very beginning, God has been talking to his creation. And, and he has never stopped talking to his creation. Unfortunately, people have been ignoring or just choosing not to listen or disagreeing, telling his prophets to shut up. I mean, it, I mean, history of God speaking to people and people responding in a really bad way is, is remarkable to me. And so he sent his son. He sent his son to speak to us. In Hebrews 1-2, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. One of the ways that Jesus is described to us in the Bible is as, as the word. What word? The word of God. You want to know what God says? You look at Jesus. You want to know, you want to know what God feels and thinks and acts and does? We look at Jesus. You know, we often think of Jesus, he is the Savior. He will be the King. 
And we, and we recognize that's the reality of that. But there's also this intimacy that he wants to have with people that we can never overlook. That it's never just saving us from hell. It's never just saving us so that we can go to heaven. It's all about an intimacy of relationship that is impossible apart from Christ. God still wants to talk to us. Jesus came not just to save us, but to teach us about God, about the kingdom of God. So let's pray, and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us to listen. Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you for this time, this opportunity to sit in this place and to and take a moment to open our hearts to you. And Lord, we all come with different stuff, different baggage, different things. We come with, with our own cares and worries and fears and concerns, with our own um, issues, with our own just challenges, trials and tribulations, pain and suffering and, and just stuff. But Lord, I pray, Lord, for this, this brief moment, this time as we have taken time to open our heart in worship, that we would continue to worship you with our, with our minds, that we would listen and hear what your spirit would say. And the things that we hear, Lord, we'd allow those things to, to reach down into our hearts and to do a work of changing us to be more like Christ today. I praise you, Lord, for this day. I lift up all of these people, whether they're here in person or watching online, and we pray, Lord, for a touch upon their lives, Lord, that they might come to know you better today. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So far we've seen in the book of Matthew, we've seen uh, chapter 3, um, the baptism, was that chapter 3? I forgot now already. It's been so long. The baptism of Christ and, and God's great declaration where he said, you know, this is my beloved son whom, in whom I'm well pleased. Radical description of pleasure and satisfaction with Jesus, his son. And then immediately he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and tested by God. And, and, and after 40 days, on the verge of death, resisted the devil's temptations. And how did he do it? By trusting in the word of God. Believing and trusting the word of God will get us past every temptation. And he passed God's test perfectly. Why? Well, because he's perfect. And he gave us an example of holy living in the most difficult of circumstances. And how do you do it? Trusting God and his word. So after this ordeal in the wilderness, some angels came and ministered to him. And at some point, he ends up back in his hometown of Nazareth. And then it was time for Jesus to begin his Ministry to begin to do what he had come from the Father to do. So we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. So he's in Nazareth, and he departs from there to go to, to Galilee after he finds out that John the Baptist is in prison. Herod had thrown him in prison because Herod kept telling him, or John kept telling him, hey, you're in sin. What you're doing is wrong. 
And, and it, I, I was thinking about this a little bit this morning. I'm thinking like, we're living at a time where, you know what? Guys like me might start getting in trouble. We start saying, hey, you know, certain things are right, certain things are wrong. You know, they're not throwing us in prison yet, but, but Randy assures me that it's going to come eventually. So we believe him. Pray for me, because I'm going to keep telling people. We got to be faithful. We got to be faithful to God's word. Kelly's not too happy about the idea of me going to prison, so pray for her too. Verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, a people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus would end up spending a lot of time in this particular area around the Sea of Galilee and in the city of Capernaum. And Matthew tells us that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And that occurs regularly within the book of Matthew, 11 times. There's a direct reference to the fulfillment of prophecy. And all prophecy is, is God telling us in advance what he's going to do. And, and you know, one of the things that the, uh, Isaiah tells us is that's one of the ways that we know God is God because he's the only one that can tell us the future perfectly. You know, that he, he, he knows it from the beginning to the end. One of the things I ask is, you know, it says that in the Bible. Is it, is it in there because it's going to happen or is it going to happen because it's in the Bible? Yes is the answer, in case you're wondering. It, it's, you know, when God puts it there, when he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he can tell us in advance because nothing in the universe can change it. Nothing in the universe can make it not happen. And so it, it's one of those things that proves to us the, the, that God is who God says he is. A lot of places we see that. John has a lot of them as well. The other God, Mark and, Matt, uh, Mark and, and Luke don't have as many, but there's a ton of them. And, and in reality, if you're to go back and study the Old Testament, you'll find there are hundreds of prophecies regarding the Messiah, regarding the Christ who would come, and Jesus has fulfilled all of the ones that applied to his first coming. We're still waiting for the other ones, which will happen at the second coming. So just hang on. That's, that's the next chapter. No, it's later. It comes later. Verse 15 is, contains a prophecy saying that Jesus would minister around the area of Galilee, which he did. And then verse 16 is a prophecy with a promise. And I love this one. The reality is, is that all non-believing people are sitting in darkness. And, and the reality of that is, and, and I can relate to that, because without Jesus darkness is all that's available. That, that without Jesus, there is no light. Even if you have light around you, there, that all you know is darkness. Jesus came as the light to take away the darkness in John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the word, world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Before I was saved, I, I was in darkness. 
I, I, had, I, I had no idea that there was such a thing as light. And I, you know, I, I was completely ignorant to it. I, I can, you know, I, I, it, was, it was a while ago now, but I was 40 when I got saved. And so I remember a big chunk of my life where I was living my life, and it was just what life was. It was dark, but to me, it was normal. Didn't, didn't mean anything. I was living in that darkness. And, it, and it was, if it hadn't been for God bringing the light into my life, I would have continued in my life ignorant of the light. I would have just continued. Even though I had, I had the light living in my house, it wasn't enough for me to see it. Next chapter, Matthew is going to tell us and tell us that, that we as believers are light. In chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, it says this, you are the light of the world, speaking to you as believers. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's to us, all of us. We are the light of the world. Now, our light shines as we walk in fearless faith and radical obedience to God. That's how our light shines. It, it doesn't shine just because you're a believer. There are a lot of believers out there that aren't really, they're just little, tiny little glimmers of light. But our light really shines when we just fearlessly walk with Jesus. I'm so thankful that God put light bearers into my life, especially Kelly. Now, I resisted her light for a long time, long time. But eventually, God softened my heart and allowed me to see. Next, we get to see what Jesus' message was in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that should sound familiar to us. We've actually heard that before. John the Baptist spoke the exact same message, word for word, same message. As John preached by the Jordan River and baptized people for the repentance of sin, he spoke that message. And we talked a lot about repentance when we went through that text, so I'd encourage you to go back if you want to rehash that or go back through that Listen to it, watch it. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, those are synonymous. And the question has been, and has been asked for thousands of years, where is the kingdom of heaven? Where is the kingdom of God? They've been asking, they were asking it before Jesus showed up, and they were asking it after he left. Where is the kingdom of God? Luke 17, 20 and 21 says this. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, that's another question they would ask, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. If God is king in your heart, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, we're living in a country. Can, you, can we say that, that God is the king of the United States of America? No. No. In reality, he is. But 
the people of this country don't acknowledge that. We can say that of our state, of our county, of our city. We can say that all through that. Wherever God is king, that's where the kingdom of God is. And right now, that exists primarily within believers. So wherever we go as believers, walking in faith and obedience to God, we carry the kingdom of God with us. And those who come in contact with us are being exposed to the kingdom of God. Is that important, do you think? Absolutely it is. People need to see God in his kingdom. Kingdom of God within us. But for that to happen, we have to, we have to let Jesus take his rightful place in our heart as king. We have to give him the throne of our lives. And that's not easy. Sometimes we, we, we fight with Jesus over the throne of our hearts, and we need to not do that. Next, we're going to see Jesus do something, which is interesting to me. And, and, and I think as jaded, experienced Christians, we, we kind of overlook some of these things. We read these things, and we read them over and over and over again, and, and they, get, they get a little common to us. And, and, and Jesus picks some people as disciples, and ultimately they'll be apostles, and we're going to look at that here. Verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> it's, a, it's really good, if you can, I encourage you to do this all the time, is to, to get a chronological Bible or um, a, a, a a book that lays out the Gospels together chronologically because it gives you a lot more information about what's going on here. You know, Matthew make it, makes it look like this is the very first time that, that these two guys have ever met Jesus and he just says to them, hey, follow me, and they do. There's more to that story than that. We're not gonna get into it today, but I encourage you to get into, you know, to, to do that, to read one of those Bibles, to see the chronology of these events. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to choose 12 people to help you establish the kingdom of God on the earth, what kind of people would you pick? You know, would you, could you look around this room and find 12 people to be the ones who would help you to establish the kingdom of God on the earth? I don't know about you, but I might have picked men more spiritual than the ones Jesus did. I, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not Jesus, so I probably wouldn't do things exactly the way he did them, sadly. Imagine it, Peter. You know, we, we probably look at Peter as like, okay, one, he was a, kind of a superstar on one hand, but he was a knucklehead on the other. I mean, he went both ways. He went hot and cold pretty regularly. I mean, he would eventually deny Christ at a time where he shouldn't have. James and John, <laughs> the sons of thunder at one point, wanted Jesus to call down, you know, fire and brimstone on a village that rejected Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. Those are wicked dudes in that time. Thomas was a doubter and Nathaniel was a skeptic. And oh, Judas Iscariot was a thief and a betrayer. 
And if we knew more about the rest of them, I'm guessing they weren't, you know, the cream of the crop either. Those men, 11 of those men, would end up taking the gospel to the whole world. At one point, they're even accused of turning the world upside down because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. They kept telling people about Jesus and his resurrection. And Jesus calls them to follow them, and the next verse tells us what they did. Verse 20, they immediately, how quick was that? Okay, immediately, it makes sense. We don't have to define that word. Left their nets and followed him. Is that what God wants from his people? And the answer is yes. That when God calls, when God instructs, when God commands, he's looking for an immediate response in the affirmative. You know, David mentioned the account of Moses, the burning bush. It's always one I like wonder, like, God, you are so patient, you know, that he would put up with this, you know, you know, Moses standing here with this miraculous burning bush, hearing the voice of God audibly, and yet he's resisting. God is so patient, but what he's looking for from us is an immediate response to the affirmative. Listen, when he calls, we have a choice. We either answer or we let it go to voicemail. Now, if you call me and you're not in my, my caller ID, you're going to voicemail. But you know what? God is calling us. When? All the time. Not just big things, not just burning bush moments, not just the, you know, the huge thing, but every day he's calling us to faith and obedience, and what he's looking for is an immediate response. Does God know what he's doing? When God asks us to do something, when he calls us, when he instructs us, when he commands us, does he know what he's doing, and is what he's doing good? If the answer is yes, he knows what he's doing, and yes, what he's doing is good, then why would we hesitate well, there's lots of reasons. We're not going to get into them right now. But God is looking for obedience. He's looking for submission. Even the little, little things. Now, what I would encourage us all to do is when we wake up in the morning, the moment you wake up and, and your mind starts to, you know, get out of dream world or, you know, stop thinking about coffee or whatever, or the very first thing you think of is make a choice to say yes to God. Just say, just say, God, I'm saying yes to you today. Well, what if I don't know what he's gonna ask? Well, does that matter? Shouldn't the answer always be yes? Make that resolution in your heart immediately. Say yes to God. Jesus continues his walk on the beach Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately, and there it is again, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus didn't pick people that the rest of the world would look and not, oh, yeah, that, 
that's a good choice, Jesus. Good job. We'll give you five stars on that choice. Matter of fact, I'm guessing most of these guys might not get any stars if they were to do that. He didn't call princes. He didn't call priests. He didn't call politicians. He called common people. He called people that the rest of the world might even reject. And I really appreciate that. When we were sent out to start this church in 2004, I had been a believer for a whopping seven years at that point, and I'd been a pastor for two years. I had no formal training in ministry. I had not been taught how to study the Bible. I had not been taught how to prepare sermons, and my early messages will prove that to you. I had almost no preparation on how to start a church. God called. We said yes, and that's all there was to it. The rest we knew. If God wants this, then all the other stuff is just going to come as we go. May not be easy, may not always be pretty, but it's gonna happen. Imagine if you were the family or friends of these guys, and here they are, minding their literal business, they're fishermen, Jesus comes along, and they turn away from those things, from their family business, from their livelihood, from everything, from their families, to follow after Jesus. And, and we have to know that they had no idea what that meant for them. No idea what that meant for the future. I can still remember when I sat down in front of my boss in 2002 and told him that I was leaving to be a pastor at the church we were at at that time. And the look on his face, stunned, bewildered look on his face, he just couldn't understand. I, had wa- I was walking away from a good job making more money than I have ever made or made since and, and included a, a good prospects for the future. And he told me, and literally told me, you're throwing your life away. He literally told me that. He couldn't have been more wrong. I found the life I was meant to live. I know, I know who I am. I was meant to live this life. And, and I don't know what it would have turned out if I had not responded to God's call in my life back in 2002. I have no idea what would have come. Matter of fact, I don't care. This is the life that God intended for me. Listen. God does not need highly trained, well-equipped people to serve him. You know what he needs? He needs somebody who will say yes. That's all he needs. All the other stuff, that'll come. That'll come. If he calls you, he knows what he's doing. And if the rest of the world looks and says, what in the world are you doing? Doesn't matter. God called, I said yes. Matthew goes on to summarize Jesus' ministry. Verse 23, 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, I know what that word is, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Jesus came to teach and preach. That's what it starts out saying. Teaching tends to focus on the mind. Preaching tends to focus on the heart. Jesus did both. Now, most most teachers slash preachers lean one direction or the other. I'm, I lean more toward the teaching, though I pray regularly that God would make me a better preacher. Both are important. One of the things that Jesus did, besides teaching about the kingdom of God, preaching on the, the, the need we have to be right with God, is one of the things he did were miracles, especially the healings. He did so many of them that the Gospel of John tells us there's no, there was no way to record all the things that he was doing. Anybody that came to Jesus with anything that needed to be done, he could heal. Nothing was too hard for him. And many of those who came to be healed were brought by people who had been healed and there's a great evangelistic message wrapped up in that. If you have been healed by God, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been healed of at least one thing, and that is your sin, then God would say to you, shouldn't you bring other sick people to Jesus too? Every person that showed up had either heard about Jesus through somebody who had been ministered to by him, or they had been physically touched themselves. And that would include everyone that came in contact with him. Many of those people followed Jesus afterwards. The reality is that when we meet Jesus, that he's got a plan for our lives. We, we acknowledge the reality of that, 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 we, that God has a plan. He has a wonderful plan for your life. You've heard that, that whatever that is, platitude. He does have a plan for your life, and it is a good plan. And it is a right plan. And some, he calls, as he did these four fishermen, to throw down their nets and abandon everything to follow. But that is not the calling of most people. He called 12, but then multitudes followed him. Some, he calls out, to come out to do the work of the ministry, but most he calls to stay where they are to do the work of the ministry, but we're all called to the work of the ministry. We see that described in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, in the first part of 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Raise your hand, you are the saints. We are all the saints. And God has called all the saints to do the work of the ministry. What does the word ministry mean? Serve whom? Everyone. 
that literally, if you have been touched by Jesus, then you have been called into the ministry. And your ministry may just simply, you be a light in whatever sphere of influence that you have. You've been, you've been given a spark of the life of God. And you're to carry that light out where others can see it. In your neighborhoods, in your families, in your school, in your community, in your work, in your church, everywhere you go, people ought to see the light of God, the light of Jesus Christ in you. A few, like me, are called to devote their whole life to this. It is my primary thing, serving God in this church. Most are called to devote their life to the work of the ministry while they're doing something else. In a lot of ways, it's similar, but it's not the same. Either way, the one, the one that's right is the one that God said for you. God called me out, and so it's right for me to be out. The rest of you, most of you, that's not what God called. He left you where you are, but he still calls you to the work of the ministry. After Jesus finished his work, and we'll get to that in another 75 messages. I haven't counted out. It's 80 total messages. After Jesus returned to heaven, he handed the gospel message over to his disciples, who then handed it over to others. And for generations, the gospel message has been handed down to the next generation. Until here we are, sitting here, 2023, in Murrieta, California, and God would say the same thing to us, that you are the light of the world, to carry the gospel message out to a world that is so dark. And if you can't recognize that the world is dark right now, you need some more light. God is looking for people. And just as he chose those, those fishermen and others that he chose, he's looking to choose more, to continue reaching out and just looking for people who will just say yes to whatever God asks, whatever he says, if they would just say yes. Who knows what might happen if we say yes to God? If we allow God to stir up that, that passion in our hearts, if we would allow God to do something and to set us on fire for Jesus Christ, who knows what might happen? We've heard about the Asbury College revival, they're calling it. What happened there? What happened? A group of young people allowed the passion for God to burn in them. And they just made a decision, we're not gonna let it stop. We're gonna let it go. And what's happening as a result of that? Thousands of people 
are responding. Now, we don't know how it's gonna turn out. We don't know any of that stuff. As far as we care, worship team, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. Sorry, I should have done that a few minutes ago. Come back up. The reality is, is that there's something happening there. And I believe that something that's happening there is they've allowed the passion, they've allowed the fire to continue burning. Now, now many of us have been around for a little while, and I think that's a problem because we get kind of set in our way. You know, we, you know, the, you know, the, the, these, these young people showed up on a Wednesday night to do a midweek thing, and it just kind of just happened. Too many of us would have gone to that, something like that, and then we would have said, oh, okay, it's time for me to go do this. We have our thing we have to do next. We have to let God so into our hearts and minds that we would sense his spirit moving in even small ways and allow the passion that should burn within us to be ignited again. Now many, I'm guessing many of you can remember a time in your life where you were on fire for Jesus, on fire for him. Now I don't believe it's impossible to get back to that. I believe God can revive our souls can revive our passion, can set us on fire again. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song that we sang in the first, in the worship set. We're gonna sing it again and we're gonna pray that God would do a revival here. He would revive our hearts, set our hearts on fire to revive that passion within us. And I'm also gonna pray for that revival taking place out there with the young people. It's amazing how often revivals begin with young people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for this time and this place. And I do pray, Lord God, that you would stir us up. That, Lord, we would, we would not allow our stodgy old hearts to resist it if your spirit is moving within us. And I pray that you would set us on fire, God. Stir up a passion within us that we might be able to shine forth out into this world. When a few young people catch fire for you, the whole world sees it. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that within us. I do also lift them up to you, Lord God, and pray that you'd continue to allow that to grow and to spread, to reach out to young people all across this planet. Lord, that we might see a revival that would change our world. I thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your love. And we pray, Lord, for a mighty moving of your spirit in this place and in the world around us. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you 
send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.